This is Against All Enemies, a show about threats to American democracy. Political violence is on the rise. An alarming percentage of Americans believe they may have to take up arms against their neighbors. Some are already doing so. Against All Enemies highlights the activities of extremist organizations and their enablers. Our goal is to educate, not to alarm. The threats are real. But if we know what we are up against, together we can beat them. It's Ken Harbaugh with Against All Enemies on the Midas Touch Network. This is a clip of former President Trump at a recent campaign stop in Texas, surrounded by a sea of uniforms. The crowd is full of members of the National Guard and Texas Highway Patrol officers posing for pictures with the former president. In normal political times, I wouldn't be too bothered by this. Presidential candidates have every right to appear with members of the military and law enforcement. These however, are not normal times. And there is something increasingly ominous about the way Donald Trump's campaign is attracting military and law enforcement personnel. We know he doesn't actually respect the military. He called dead American service members suckers and losers. He's using them to get elected and for far worse. He already tried in his first term to invoke the Insurrection Act to deploy the U.S. military against American civilians. And we know from reporting about the 2025 project that he likely has every intention of doing so again. I spoke with Mike Breen, Army combat vet and CEO of Human Rights First, about this. So, Mike, great to have you back on Against All Enemies. It's been a couple of weeks. Would love your reaction to that video, because on the surface, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with a presidential candidate meeting with troops and it looks like law enforcement officers but I think we we need to start bracing ourselves for this uh, th- this rollout of false patriotism and using troops as as props for what is going to be, I think, a pretty awful presidential campaign. But what was your gut reaction? Yeah, I think that's right, Ken. I mean, there's there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. There's nothing wrong with a presidential candidate meeting with meeting with National Guardsmen and women and members of the members of law enforcement. Right, that's fine. Uh, but when that same presidential candidate used his Veterans Day speech to talk about rooting out vermin, and, and he's talking about our fellow Americans with with political views that he doesn't share, and when he's talking about uh, weaponizing Department of Justice against his political enemies, and he's he's openly talking about internment camps because immigrants, to use his words, poison the blood of the country, uh, and he's he's openly discussed throwing the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in prison for uh, defying him politically, it takes on a very different tone. Um, you know, and this is a president who, or a former president who's, who's made a major piece of his politics, pardoning, you know, war criminals for for murders and war zones and violations of codes of conduct that I know you and I both find sacred. So it's uh, it takes on a very, very different tone when when that's the candidate and that's the track record. We're both vets, and it still baffles me that our our brothers and sisters in arms don't understand the disdain with which this president's this president holds our service. I mean, people who we should be able to trust, John Kelly, Mark Milley, and others, have talked about the the president's. Um, Scorn for wounded vets, saying that they shouldn't appear at any of his events, calling veterans suckers and losers. 
And yet, as you well know, there are a lot of our buddies uh, who who still uh, flock to his side, who who still pose for pictures. Do you have a, a simple explanation for that? I don't know if there's a simple explanation for it, but but I think it has a lot to do with we got to have an honest reckoning about the last 20 years. Um, I mean, these people we're talking about are brothers and sisters, people we served with. You know, we we served with them. You know, I, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan as an army officer, right? But wherever in the world you served, we just spent 20 years um, fighting fighting wars that you know, didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of the people fighting them that went on for, for over a generation. You know, fathers and sons doing tours in the same places, in the same provinces. And that, that ended you know, really tragically and, and in a way that I think left a lot of moral injury, um, especially the, the, the cap, total collapse of Afghanistan and the, and the evacuation effort that followed. Uh, so that leaves people, I think, very understandably open to arguments that the system is broken and that the system has betrayed them and that they've been lied to and abused by, by elites. Um, and we got to grapple with that. We got to do a much better job grappling with that as a country. You can't just whistle past the graveyard and pretend none of that ever happened. Um, and I think, you know, it's incumbent on the political and foreign policy establishments to be a little bit more forward and forward into that conversation. Um, you know, it's a hard thing, but I don't think there's any way around it. If this isn't history repeating itself, I don't know what is, because every time there is that widespread social disillusionment, especially among veterans. I can point to two or three case studies of this. The the solution the the bearer of the the solution, the the person who comes along who says, I will be your vengeance, turns out every time to be a a charlatan, a false prophet. You look at uh, Mussolini. Uh, more recently, you look at Al Zarqawi. You look at all of these cases of people preying on the the kind of disillusionment you're talking about, particularly um, among veterans who have paid a very high price for um, for being left behind, and those people who who purport to to speak for them always let them down every damn time. Every damn time. And, and it's, you know, it's the same conspiracy theory type stuff every time, too. You never lost on the battlefield, but you were defeated anyway. Why? It must be. You must have been stabbed in the back by your own somehow. Right. And, you know, we saw this uh, in Germany after World War One with with consequences everybody knows about. But it happens a lot. Um, that same narrative you know, happened in the United States after Vietnam. You know, the idea that the left had, had stabbed the troops in the back. Um, and we're seeing it again now. And. You know, I think the only solution to that is a more honest conversation from the rest of us. Uh, you, you can't just pretend that none of this ever happened and not grapple with it. Um, and, you know, there's always this desire in the media and political worlds to move on from a thing. You know, two years ago, it feels like ancient history when you talk about the end of the Afghanistan conflict. But you can't just turn the page on 22 years of this stuff for the people who fought these wars. Uh, you know, I know, as I know you do, I've got friends who... You know, I, I spent something like 28 months in, in, in combat, but that's nothing compared. I've got friends who spent years and years and years of their lives, deployment after deployment, 20 years careers, you know, 12, 12 of those years deployed. Um, and you think about what that, 
what that does to somebody when it turns out that they were fighting a war everybody else kind of forgot about and in the end just sort of walked away from, um, they're going to be looking for something to give them a way to go forward. Uh, and in this case, it's a con man. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a quick break here, but I need a favor first. Shows like this depend on your support. Please, if you can spare five seconds, click the link to the podcast version of the show below and leave us a five-star review. It really does help. Thanks. You used the term moral injury before. Can you explain that to the layperson? I think most people know what PTSD is. Moral injury is different. In some ways, it's even more insidious because it's it's not as often talked about. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I'm not a I'm not a professional, so I'll do my best to explain it. But you know, essentially, it's it's an injury of the soul. You know, it's different from your brain experiencing trauma. And most people who go into combat, almost everybody who does, the truth is, is going to come out with some form of PTSD or another. I mean, almost everyone. Uh, that's just the nature of combat. But beyond that, the exposure to danger, the exposure to death, the exposure to trauma, to fear. Beyond that is the question of, you know, who, what's my identity as a person? And did my actions, do my, did, did my service line up with my sense of, of who I am as a moral being, right? And when those two things don't line up, when your society's asked you to go do things that you have a really hard time living with at some level. And I'm not talking about war crimes. I'm talking about being part of something, giving your heart and soul to something that, that turns out to not have been worth it. it. That that'll start to eat your soul. And I think there's, there's just a lot of that in this generation of vets. There's a lot of that in, in our comrades. I think it is a, a helpful explanation, partial explanation for why so many, not a majority, but by far too many of our fellow vets seek out groups like the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters and Proud Boys to regain that that sense of purpose, to feel like they are they're, they're part of something bigger than themselves. They're contributing to a greater cause. Yeah, and they get the message too. Look, it, it wasn't your fault. You know, it's not your fault that it ended this way. And that part is right. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. You know, there's nothing else we could have asked of our military for the last 20 years. Nothing else we could have asked, asked of the, you know, the people we serve with, right? Did everything that was asked of them and more. Um, and it really isn't their fault. But but to, to then ask them to sign up for a toxic cause, to go, you know, lie to them and tell them, hey, you know, and the solution to this is to go destroy the thing that you, you set out to defend because it's all rotten to the core. I mean, we all know who that serves, you know, and it's funny, you, you look at the guys leading this movement, and they're almost all guys. You look at the Donald Trumps, sure, but, you know, the image that sticks with me every time is is Josh Hawley, right? You know, here's a guy, you know, this, this guy is never going to be on the front lines of anything. Never served a day in his life. Fist bumping the crowd on Jan 6 and then turning his back and, and, and running away, right? And he, he's nowhere to be found when things get tough. These are the guys leading the movement. You know, they, they have nothing to offer any of these guys and they can't, you know, they can't even really look them in the eye in terms of, of being honorable men and women. Um, they're just they're just using them. And that's a it's a hell of a shame. I mean, I think you, you got to be accountable for your decisions. You got to be accountable for the, the choices you make, especially when those choices involve breaking the law and attacking federal buildings and signing up with armed militias. 
but it is really heartbreaking that, th- that these lies have taken in so many people who who've already given so much to the country. And it is striking how people like the former president, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz and others hold their most ardent followers in such contempt. They would never, never be caught dead at the same cocktail party, right? They are using the, the, the passion of these followers for their own political ends. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. When they're not writing books on masculinity, when, you know, in between, you know, champagne brunches, right? I mean, it's the whole thing is absurd, but here we are. Yeah. I am sure you have seen some of the recent reporting about Project 2025. I want to get your thoughts on that before we wrap up. Uh, it's this blueprint by the Heritage Foundation to entrench President Trump's hold on power should he win the next election uh, even more deeply than before to route out the deep state. I mean, you can just borrow from his own speeches. One of the most alarming aspects of this plan is to invoke the Insurrection Act to deploy the U.S. military against American civilians to put down protests. And I'm sure the kind of protests they have in mind are things like the Women's March, which embarrassed and to some degree disrupted the the opening weeks of uh, President Trump's first term in office. What's your what are your thoughts about Project 2025? And I mean, how how would that unfold? The 82nd Airborne squaring off against American civilians in the streets of Washington D.C. Yeah, I mean, it's a nightmare scenario, right? And this is the striking thing is is I get. And I have to look at the media on this, you know, you, you and some others being the shining exception of this. Um, we, we have essentially the destruction of American democracy being being laid out in detail in the open by, you know, a presidential candidate in speech after speech by think tanks that support him, you know, plan to take, you know, what is it, 54,000 federal employees, wipe them off the map and replace them with an army of loyalists. Uh, you know, use the military against peaceful American protesters. I mean, this is this is dystopian nightmare, you know, fascist takeover stuff, right? Except it's real. It's being put in print. It's being spoken of at the podium. It's being used to rally electoral support. Uh, And, you know, I look at the press and I still see horse race coverage and, and, you know, detailed coverage of his trials and things like that. Like, we're not facing, you know, essentially an open attempt to destroy American democracy as we know it. But that's what this is. And, you know, I I could sit here and talk and we should about the the nightmare that that this would be for the military, you know, an American military ordered into the streets against its own civilians, something that generations of military leaders have have done everything in their power to avoid, something that General Milley, you know, got way too close to and, and, and backed away in horror. Right. I mean, we thought we might see this after George Floyd's murder, uh, you know, there was talk of the 82nd. And it, we, we walked right up to the brink of a total nightmare, right? And it was already bad enough. You remember those pictures of National Guardsmen, you know, in full battle rattle on the steps of the Capitol and the Lincoln Memorial with, with face face mask covering. You know, it, it, that's not the relationship we ought to have with the military. It's not what America's Army's relationship with its dem- democratic neighbors ought to be, right? We talk about citizen soldiers. It doesn't look very much like a citizen soldier to me. But that's the least of it. I mean, the, the loss of 
250 years of almost entirely apolitical service by the armed forces to this democracy is the least of it. Um, we're talking about a complete change in who we are as a country. And, you know, it's really hard to understand where we go from there if they're able to do this. I think they'll encounter a lot of resistance, but I don't know how much and I don't, you know, I don't know how that goes, but, but it looks like the breaking of a lot of things that took 250 years to put together. And once you lose them, as we've both seen in country after country around the world, you know, there's no limit to how far down you can go once you start down that road. Well, we will keep sounding the alarm. Thanks, Mike, for helping us out. We'll have you back here soon. Um, appreciate your time. You too, Ken. Thank you.